listen, we're a work in progress until we leave this earth. I don't believe that you will complete the work before you write the book. But you've got to have some level of healing so that you don't bleed on the pages, as we like to call it. You're listening to the Leverage Your Incredible Factor podcast with Darnielle Jervie Harmon, the place to be to leverage and scale a business that serves you financially and spiritually. I'm your host, spiritual business growth strategist, Darnielle J. Harmon. Join me each week for inspiring stories, powerful interviews, and business growth strategy to help you experience abundance in your life because of your business. If you are ready to play and pray bigger, Let's get this party started. If this is your first time joining me, there's just a few things I wanna make sure that you know. Number one, I am not new to this, I am true to this. For more than 10 years, I have been growing businesses, period. I am the absolute best at combining spiritual principles with business growth strategy to turn entrepreneurs into multiple six and seven figure CEOs. And no, in case you were wondering, you do not have to choose. You can love God and make both loads of money. And I'm on a mission to create even more multiple six and seven figure CEOs. Oh, and we don't do hustle and grind. We do spirituality and systems. You might be wondering exactly what the incredible factor is. And if that's you, I invite you to go all the way back to our very first episode. I even give you a really powerful worksheet that you can download so that you can find yours because it is the key to beginning to leverage and scale your business. And I am tickle purple that you are listening in today. This episode is powered by Shatter Your Income Ceiling, my private advanced training that literally breaks down the framework that my clients and I are using to experience consistent 30 to 100K months in their service-based businesses. Learn more and apply today at darnielle.com forward slash weekend. In today's episode, I chat with Tanisha Johnson, and you're about to get your whole life. If you are an author or you aspire to be an author, and you don't want to just write a book for the sake of writing a book, but you want to write the one book that is actually destined to take you to the six or seven figure mark, OMG, I want you to get so super excited because this interview has the potential to literally change your life. There were so many amazing things that Tanisha and I talked about in this interview. And you know me, I never want to steal the thunder of our guests. Instead, I want to allow you the opportunity to actually listen in to what she has to say and see how you can pick apart what you need to get from it in order to be able to actually take your business to the next level all because of the book. So let me just read a brief bio on Tanisha. Authors worldwide write better thanks to editorial guru and entrepreneur Tanisha C. Johnson, perfecting manuscripts for hundreds of best-selling authors. She's on a mission to end the prominent everyday abuse of the English language and rectify punctuation pet peeves. As the founder and CEO of So It Is Written, LLC, Tanisha collaborates with industry professionals to take manuscripts to the marketplace, positioning authors for success in the literary world. Well known by many as the human spell check, now nerd and grammar police, she proudly wears the badge of honor to correct and serve. Dubbed the editor's editor, Tanisha's 
positions writers as experts in their industry, oftentimes empowering them to create their own writing or editorial business and thus developing multiple streams of income. To connect with Tanisha, we'll put all of her information in the show notes. Oh, MG, I really hope that you are not driving while you listen to this interview. And if you are driving, then let's go on it right now and just give yourself permission to listen to the interview again so that you can literally take away all of the nuggets that Tanisha has to share with you. So without further ado, let's jump into my conversation with Tanisha Johnson. Tanisha Johnson, welcome to the Leverage Your Incredible Factor Business Podcast. How are you today? I'm so good, Danielle. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, yeah. I've been looking forward to this conversation. (laughs) Just because you are my client, but because I think that what you do is just so incredibly powerful. So why don't you just take a quick moment and tell everybody who you are in your own words? Yeah. So I am Tanisha Johnson. If you see my name spell, it actually looks like Tanita. It is not a typo, which is ironic, Darnell, because I work in writing and editing and books. And people are like, how are you helping people edit and your name is misspelled? I was not part of that decision-making process. Um, But I help six-figure entrepreneurs write the one book that is going to get them to seven figures in record time. This is my passion. This is my purpose. I love what I do. And um, all things books, I am crazy about publishing, editing, writing, all of that. So that's who I am in a nutshell. I love that because I do think that it it is one book or it has the potential to be one book to get you to seven figures. Like, yes. I haven't written my seven figure book yet. Like, I, but book. I, I mean, I have do. Yeah, but I have the, the book that I most want to write. I haven't written yet. Like, I keep. I had a title, I, I had a working title, and then God gave me a new title, and I sat down to start writing it a couple of times, and I have a little bit, but I'm like, I can't right. write it yet, because <laughs> I think it's it's part story, which, you know, I wrote my very first book, which I know you got a copy of, if you understand, yes. you would understand my praise, where I just kind of skirt-tailed on why I am who I am, and I really want to tell the whole story, but I want to wait until my parents are dead. I know that sounds morbid. Yeah. Well, the reason why is because the the one paragraph they each had in the one chapter of that book, yes, blowing gaskets. Yeah, my mother too. Correct. Yeah. I so get like, it. Yeah, because mm-hmm. they didn't understand that the book wasn't about them. It was my my story, my truth. But like the book I really want to write, my title used to be "The Cost of My Incredible." Actually, but God actually gave me a different name for it, and I was like, "But I still." Write I like it. that. You I still got to do something with that. I really like that. But anyway, we're not here to talk about me and my book. We're here to talk about you and the work that you do. But I love this idea of the one book. So what made, what, how did you come to realize, because I know you are the author of 15. Yes. More. 16. 16, Yeah. Yeah. So where did this concept of the one book kind of come from? So for me, it came from taking one book, my one book, When the Smoke Clears, and turning it into the ebook, the paperback book, 
the stage play. Now I'm working on a web series for When the Smoke Clears. I mean, literally seven to 10 different streams of income just from When the Smoke Clears, but I have 15 books. So when I tell people the one book that's going to get them the seven figures, it's not just the book. You're not going to sell a $10 book and get to seven figures. We know that. But speak like, like you always talk about, the speaking engagements, the workshops that are tied to the books. I literally tell people every chapter in your book can be one workshop and people don't look at it like that but it literally can be that yeah I agree because I, I feel like and I think about what a lot of people in the coaching industry call your signature system right mm-hmm. we call it your signature business move but every step in your system the average system is seven to ten steps and every step in your system is its own system right yeah And so if you think about that same premise inside of a book and what the book can do, like, I think that there's probably also a coaching program in addition to play and the, Mm -hmm. you know, all of the other things that come outside of the book. And so when you think about getting to seven figures with at least, you said seven different streams of, or seven different ways you can utilize your book in order to get to seven figures. When you're yes. talking to uh, an entrepreneur, and is, is this entrepreneur an entrepreneur that doesn't have a book yet? Um, no, I would say this is probably the person that has books already, but they're not leveraging them. Okay. They're not necessarily seeing the income from the book because they've started, you know, like you said, most people start with their life story right. or they may start with the book that makes them an expert and that's good and fine. But what's going to be the one book that, like like you said, I know what my one book is. It's the cost of my incredible. Right. Because everybody wants to know how did Darnielle get to where Darnielle is today. Right. And, right. It's, and it's also good to know how did Darnielle get to where she is today, but what did she have to overcome and where does she come from? Because for a long time, I looked at Darnielle from a distance and I'll be honest, Darnielle, I was like, I'm not even ready. I'm not even going to step to her until I'm ready. Like, okay. it was just, I didn't feel qualified to even come. You know what I'm saying? So I think it's a matter of people knowing what's their one book. And so I help them figure that out. I think that's good that you said it. Not the whole, I didn't feel qualified thing, but I get what you mean by it. And I wonder if part of the reason why people don't write the book is because they don't feel qualified. They don't, Darnielle. So here's what a lot of people tell me. My story is good, but Um, Like you said, I want to wait until my parents are deceased or I'm afraid of what my parents are going to say or my family. It may not be parents, but it may be a family member. And they'll say, well, my family is pretty close. I don't want them to be mad at me. People are going to be mad at you when you write the tell all, tell all book. Like somebody is going to be mad. And I think that it's not even necessarily that it's a tell all Mm -hmm. per se. I mean, yeah, if you've been through some stuff and, and all of that, yeah, all of that stuff may be relevant to the story and the positioning that you're sure. trying to get to. But I think that that being qualified, and, and tell me if I'm wrong, but I, from my vantage point, I feel like the being qualified is the person not thinking with intent about the purpose of the book. Correct. So they're thinking the book is more about me than about what I'm trying to get to the reader. So like we right. always, yeah. So like yeah. we always talk about what problem does your business solve? Well, I ask people the same question. What problem does your book solve? Yeah. Because if it doesn't solve a problem, people are not going to pay $12.95, $15.95 for a book that does not solve a problem for them. Yes, they may like a good read, but at the end of the day, what are they supposed to walk away with after having read your book? Yeah, I think that's so good because, yeah, they'll buy the Kardashian book for 
$29.95 for yes. a good read, but they're not going to buy Tanisha or Danielle's book, like, because we're not celebrities. So they're not going right. to buy our books just for the understanding of our story. So we have to really unpack. I think about the Stephen Coveyism, right? Begin with the end in mind. And I think yes. that's where the qualification comes from, right? Because if I'm thinking about what's possible when my story, my framework, my process is out into the world in a bigger way, it's in, the, it's in a book format, people can right. read it, they can find it wherever, I can then turn it into all of these other different revenue streams. It's because I'm thinking about creating more impact and getting myself and what I do right. further into the world and not just... I don't want to piss off my mom and my dad because right. blah, 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 blah. Cause I mean, right. I, you know, I went back and forth with even writing the book now and I'm still not ready. Like I haven't reached the pinnacle of my success, which would even make me feel like it's time to tell the full story. Right. And to introduce the full contents that I want, because I'm still working all of those things out. I'm less concerned about pissing my parents off than I mm-hmm. am about, making sure that the intent of the book is fully fortified before I start the process of writing it. Right. And I think that when we as entrepreneurs and small business owners think about the power that the book has to be able to create seven figures, we have to do that more. So what are some of the questions, Tanisha, that we need to ask ourselves if we are endeavoring to write the one book that is going to take us to seven figures, what should we be asking ourselves? Yeah, so Danielle, I hate to say this, not to copycat, but it's very similar to your program and some of the questions you ask us. And the first thing I tell people is, ask yourself, who is the book for? Mm -hmm. Because at the end of the day, even if it is your story, it needs to be about the reader. So even though, and when the smoke clears, I talk about suicidal thoughts and overcoming depression. Even though it's my story, it's for people who feel like they can never get over suicidal thoughts and depression. Yeah. So you have to know who you're writing to, because at the end of the day, that's not everybody's testimony. So they're, everybody's not battling with that. Now, we would like to say, well, my book is for everybody, but we know it's not. The Bible isn't even for everybody. That's why we have so many different versions. You better say that again for the people in the back, because that is the thing that drives me bananas. And it's it's from a person who used to say that. I straight up used to be Lenny, who had plenty. I was... <laughs> trying to solve all the problems for all of the right. people in all the world because I was living in lack and just figuring out something is better than nothing. But we actually yes. do everyone a disservice when we try to create a work that's for everyone. Okay, what's the, the next question after? Who is my book for? So the next thing we usually talk about is what's the main takeaway and the purpose of the book? Why are you writing the book? So for example, Darnell, I'm in the process of writing a book called Pulling Back the Covers. It is solely about molestation and the secrets that we keep. Now, I know people are going to be mad at me and the family, but guess what? I'm already speaking about it. I'm already talking about it on podcasts and interviews. So I might as well go ahead and write the book. Because I can you on Facebook Live talking about it. And it's focus of the conference you just had, the TRs. Yeah, turquoise and tears because turquoise and turquoise is the color of sexual abuse. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. And so um, I also tell people, you have to think about um, what problem it solves. Mm -hmm. And even if it's fiction, guess what? The book solves a problem Mm -hmm. because we read fiction and we go see movies as entertainment, but there's always a takeaway. Right. Absolutely. 
some so, of yeah. the best lessons came from not true stories in terms of mm-hmm. movies. I love movies. You know, you hear me talking about movies all the time. I could preach a whole sermon on the movie. Oh, face of the giants. <laughs> and la- messing with you. Uh, the Shack. And I watched The Shack. I hadn't, I saw it. I read the book. I love the book. The book changed yeah. the way that I looked at God. It was the beginning. I first learned about The Shack. I had been engaged the first time. And three months before my wedding, my ex-fiance confessed that he had gotten the older woman pregnant. That was with yeah, the I read that. phrase, right? That's what that book was yeah. about. And um, one of my good girlfriends was like, I want you to read this book. And I read it and I like, it totally transformed the way that I saw God. It allowed yeah. me to see him as something other than what had been shoved down my throat. He was through traditional religion. And, wow. um, and so when it became a movie, I, you know, I was so excited to go see it and, and then seeing Octavia Spencer be God and then God become the Asian man, like, like all of that, <laughs> like just, I'm whoever you need me to be. Right. Like, yes. I, just, I just love that whole process. And I think that even using William Paul Young's book and the shack as an example, yes. you know, I don't know that his. I, I don't know what his purpose was because I haven't seen any interviews of him talking about why he wrote the book and how, you know, it was loosely based on the true story and all of that. But even yeah. in that book, the purpose and the intent, I believe being to shift the way that people see God and to open themselves up to the principles of God instead of being bound to the religion that is God. I know that's probably a whole another podcast episode for yeah. another day. But I think that um, when I th- when I hear you talking about these three questions, what's the problem is solved? Who is the book for? And what is the purpose? And the main takeaway, I think that if we can ground ourselves in those three questions in any area of business, because this is at the end of the day all about business, we can find a solution that is going to open us up to generate money at the level that we all really want to be generating. Absolutely. And so I also think with the shag is so much meat in that book to where you can glean something different depending on the season you are in in life. Yeah. Um, Because right now I solely look at the shack as a movie to deal with unforgiveness. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, totally. I think that that is probably the most powerful lesson. I feel that way about facing the giants. I watch it the first Sunday of every month. It's like my communion. And every time I watch it, I get something from it. I've seen, I could probably tell you every line of that whole entire movie. And when I watched it two months ago, or what's this? this, Yeah, so beginning of October when I watched it, it was the very first time I realized at the end of the movie when um, he's about to have David kick the ball and the wind starts blowing, he goes, kick it now, kick it now. And his coach comes over and says, what are you doing? He said, I'm preparing for rain. That was the very first time I've seen that movie. I probably said it out loud, but that was the very first time I got it. That was the first time. And so I, I feel like, you know, we have the power to leverage stories that way. And I think that, you know, and I, I want to actually have you as much as you're willing to, and I think you probably are fully willing because you'd be talking about it online, um, <laughs> fully talk about your own story and why, why So It Is Written was born, why you had this mandate and mantle around the book, the story, healing from your own story. Because I think that that's the bigger message that you are 
um, portraying in the marketplace is helping helping entrepreneurs who have big destinies heal from their own story and use the power of their story to help them to make the impact and income that they truly are created to have, right? And so when we look at your own story, and, and again, pulling back the layers as much as you, you would like and feel comfortable in this forum, what what was it about when you was um, the smoke clear? Was that the first book? So I started when the smoke clears first. Okay. Um, but it was released second, actually. Because okay. I, you said I just knew the book wasn't done, and so um, my first book was actually one hundred words of encouragement. They're like daily inspirations. Um, but literally, writing for me has been my voice for so long because I was taught to be hushed. I was taught to be silent. I came I came up in a house where we were taught children are seen, not heard. Mm-hmm. Um, if something happens to you, you don't talk about what happens in this house. What happens in this house stays in this house. Daria, I am literally in the process of working on a short film called What Happens in This House. Wow. Because that's how sick and tired I am of hearing what happens in this house stays in this house. And yeah. so for me, for me, the writing was an outlet. And I thought I would go into traditional journalism. And then when I got into it and got out of journalism school, I hated reporting. I didn't want to do that every day. It's the creative piece and it's the outlet piece. And I write poetry as well. It's the creative flow that allows me to have a voice and then sharing it with others. So I always tell people writing is healing. And anytime I do any type of program, any type of conference, any type of webinar, there is some form of writing involved. Even at Turquoise and Tears, all of the women got a journal when they left. So, yeah. Yeah, I think I think that is so good. I mean, there's so many powerful things that you said, but writing has been my voice. Like, I don't know if you know this story about me. I can't remember if it's in my first book or not, but I found my voice when I was in the fifth grade because of Miss Dixon. Because Miss wow. Dixon, I was an, a very angry child. My mom had just went to jail on my birthday, right? And I was pissed off at the world. And she saw my potential, and she pulled me to the side and gave me that first composition notebook and was like, listen, this is a journal. Every time you get pissed off, well, she didn't say pissed off, but every time you get upset, I want you to write in this journal. I mean, two weeks later, the thing was filled to the brim. But when I finished, it was the most cathartic experience. And of course, I didn't know it was a cathartic experience at that age, but I realized that she helped me find my voice. She helped me to, to find an outlet for my anger and a way to not only heal myself, but to heal others, which was why when I was 10, the declaration I made was that I was going to use words to change the lives of others. Yeah. And um, I just feel like there's so much power in the words that we speak. There's so much power in the words that tell the stories that we've been through. And we really do have to find a way to use those words to help other people heal. Cause there's there, unfortunately it's, it's sad that it's this way, but there's nobody who hasn't been through something. Right. Oh, Except for maybe the, the baby that just was born five, two seconds ago. Two seconds and, ago. and even they've been through uh, the devastation of birth, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's just, it's, it's just a great way to be able to equalize and humanize people. But what I think is even more powerful than that is that you think about a story that is a healing story for you that ultimately becomes a healing story for someone else but also being able to create a source of impact that leads to more income. Correct. And so you said a lot of great things, Darnell. I don't don't know if you know or not, but part of the tagline for my company is transforming the world through our words. 
Oh yeah. Um, because yeah, because I do believe that there are power in the words that we speak, that we write, whatever, you know, write the vision and make it plain. And sadly, a lot of people have gotten away from just the simple things. God tells you to do something or God gives you a word, or we like to call it a prophetic word. We don't even take the time to write it down. Yeah. You know, it's like, just do the simple things and write it down. And I can remember during Yale, my mother finding my diary in my journal. I remember the little cute girly diary with the lock on it. Mm-hmm. And she broke the lock and she read it. And so I promised myself, that instead of having someone find something out later and break my lock, I will unlock it for you and I will get paid for it. That's and good. I would just, I would just put it in a book. That's good. What, what gives you the courage to say some of the things you say? Like, I mean, you know, you, I mean, you come up in my feed all the time. I mean, because we're connected, of course. Yeah. And, I, and sometimes I look at the things you say and I'm just like, she is just unabashed. Like, I mean, yes, molestation, you know, the all of it, all of it, right? It's it's taboo. It's the things we shouldn't say. It's what we shouldn't talk about. Like, where did the courage come from for you to to stop allowing people to sweep it under the rug and to put it out there so that we can deal with it? Like, where did that come from? I think this great innate desire for me to be free and free indeed. And when I say free, I mean all the way free. And let me just say, it really blessed me uh, for you to share your story. I remember somebody asking you at Breakthrough in Business about your relationship with your parents. And I'm in a season in my life where I'm really struggling on the whole honor your mother and father, because what does that even look like? Number one, I don't know my father. I've never met him, Mm -hmm. Um, never had a conversation with him. And my relationship with my mother is broken. So I'm in a place where I'm like, whatever it is that needs to be fixed, let's just fix it and move on, because I've got too much work to do in the earth. Yeah. To be stuck on what people think and who's mad and why. And she's already mad. She's already mad about the first book. So when I release Pulling Back the Covers, she'll probably really be mad. Yeah. Then I'm releasing the short film, What Happens in This House. So she'll probably really be upset. But it's just one of those things, like I told you, going back to the shack. I just want to be free and free indeed. Yeah. And truly forgive. Not have the figment of my imagination that I've forgiven and then this person comes into my presence and I know that there's something still off. Yeah. I really want to be able to forgive. Like God says, we can't forgive. Yeah. And I, I think that that is so good. Like I have people who ask me all the time. Cause I mean, I done been through some crazy jacked up stuff with the people that brought me into this world <laughs> and I am not bothered by it anymore. Like it doesn't, I mean, I did call my mom the other day. Yes. Sunday because it was her mom's birthday and I know that's a really tough time for her but I realized that forgiveness is for me and interacting with you is for me it's on my terms it's not on yours and I just refuse to allow someone else to dictate how I get to spend my time and my energy like I just refuse that like regardless of what you think like you know my my mom will, will say to me all the time um but I'm your mother Okay, thanks. (laughs) Thank you. I appreciate you getting me here. Appreciate it. Like, but at the same time, like this, this sense of guilt that I think families place on one another that you have to keep what goes on in this house, stays in this house and all of this other taboo stuff that we're afraid to talk about, which is why we're walking around broken people trying to lead and, and do all of these other things and creating this environment where all we're doing is further breaking. 
it's yeah. just it's just not healthy. And it and I just had to make a decision for myself, right? I spent many years in therapy and I just was no longer willing to be held hostage to the things I've been through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they happened to me, but I think that they also happened for me and they didn't kill me. And because they didn't kill me, it's because my purpose is bigger than whatever it was that I had been through. And realizing from that power of strength, that's part of the reason why I asked you, like, where do you get the courage from? Because I think it does take courage to call it what it is and to not be impacted. Like, you know, I think I, I probably irritate some people and I probably give people a glimpse of what freedom looks like when I just talk about it like I'm saying my favorite color is clear because right. I'm not impacted by it anymore. Like, it's just, it's just a story. It's yeah. not my life. It's not, you know, there, there isn't an emotional tie to any of it. It's just a story. And it's like, wow, that's a really powerful story. That story might be able to change somebody's life because I did my work, right? right. Do you think that before people write the book, that they have to do their work first? Or, or can the book be their vehicle of healing? So I tell people it can be a part of your work. Here's what I don't allow people to do with me, and that is bleed on the pages. Mm-hmm. So if you're freshly divorced, you jump right into another marriage, and you just want to yeah. bash your husband, you know, you want to write the book about everything he did to you, but nothing that you did wrong, like God has not given you a revelation on anything that you did wrong in the marriage yet. It's not time to write the book yet. It's not time to write the book yet. You can do some of the work. Listen, we're a work in progress until we leave this earth. I don't believe that you will complete the work before you write the book, but you've got to have some level of healing so that you don't bleed on the pages, as we like to call it. Yeah, that's good. We are a work in progress until we leave this earth. That was good. Yes. And don't bleed on the pages. Yes. Good. Your bitterness will come through in the book. You may not, you know, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Mm-hmm. It's the same on the page. You can tell, were people bitter when they wrote this or are they speaking from a place of healing? Yeah. And I don't think that, I don't think that bitter is bankable. Right. You know what I mean? Like in terms of thinking about all of the different ways that you can use the work mm-hmm. in order to produce the wealth. I think it's challenging to produce it if it's coming from a bitter place. Well, and I've had clients come to me and they'll say, I'm ready for editing and publishing. And I'll get to the end of the book and I'll say, no, you're not, because you gave the reader nothing. You told me all of the reasons you're upset, all of the reasons you're mad. You didn't tell me how you overcame it and what's what's in it for the reader. Yeah. So you're not you're not done. We need to write some more. That's good. I, that just made me think about like one of the things that I teach in, in telling story, right? So story is an acronym. The S stands for set the scene. The T stands yeah. for take them on a, a journey. The O stands for overcome an obstacle. The yeah. R stands for remind them what's in it for them. And then the Y is why should they care? Like, um, and, and making sure that that is a part of the book. So when you just said that, that just made me thought, made me think of that. Um, for the readers. So when you think about the power of a book to be able to create a million dollar plus, million dollars plus, what are the, are there, yeah, what are the assets that you think everyone who has a book should be able to create? So for sure, you're able to create the book in multiple forms. So you have it in ebook, you have it in paperback or hardback. Let me say this, Danielle, something that a lot of people are sleeping on is the audio book. Mm. Um, 
I have an audio book for two of my books, but not all 15. So I would strongly encourage people to take the time to record the audio book, whether you sell it through your website or you sell it through Audible. But now more and more people are listening to podcasts. People are listening to audio books in the car. They're not physically necessarily reading a paperback book. Yeah. And kind of like you talked about earlier, um, those coaching sessions, Mm -hmm. um, coaching program, workshop. Can it be a conference? You know, is it a workshop or is it a full full fledged conference? Mm-hmm. Is it a re- is it a retreat? I'm literally looking at doing a women's retreat, calling it when the smoke clears and doing a weekend of healing and working through the things. I mean, literally each chapter can become a module because I talked about blended family, suicidal thoughts, depression, unemployment, all of those things. Yeah. Help make and shape us into who we are. So those are some of the key things. But as you progress, the bigger things are the movies. Um, you know, the web series, you think about Netflix now, so you may not be pitching your series to the movie theater. You may be actually pitching it to Netflix, Yeah, which is huge, yeah. So this just popped in, and I wonder, I just want to get your take on it. So what is the point at which they don't need a Tanisha, but that they need a therapist? Like, what, is that before they come to you? Because I'm thinking about you saying that you might do a weekend of healing, mm-hmm. and without the... I don't know what the proper terminology is, but we'll call it the credentials for lack of a better way to describe it. Without the credentials to deal with a person who is adversely affected mental health wise by some of the things that they've been through, like at what, at what point, or do you engage mental health practitioners in what you're doing because of the the level of the work that you're doing is really, really heavy? I do. And so Danielle, part of the process is, um, with Turquoise and Tierras, it's a one-day event. So at the end of it, they get resources for counselors because at the end of the day, we've unlocked some things. We've talked about some things that are probably really, really heavy. You need to continue the process of healing. I don't refer them to a church. I give them counselors, you know, and resources, you know, a list of counselors. Um, if we do the weekend, which I have not done yet, yes, just like at Turquoise and Tierras, the speakers, some of the facilitators will be licensed counselors. Yeah. So the purpose is for them to stay connected to them and they can always connect with them virtually. It doesn't matter where they live, you know, they can get with them on a session via Zoom. So, yeah. Yeah. And I love when you said that, you know, every pastor isn't a licensed therapist. Like people need to stop going to see their pastor for everything, which I think is so true because I, I know I fell victim to that. Like, you know, you that's what you do, but you don't really get the support that you need. You don't really get the, the founda- foundation stuff that you need in order to be able to you know, process through whatever it is that you're going through absent from seeing it. So how do we deal with, or just from your take, the stigma that is in the black community that we don't need a therapist. We just need Jesus. <laughs> how, how do we deal with that? <laughs> that's, that's a whole nother that's a whole that's a whole episode. I know, but we're going to talk about it a little bit here before we let, before we let this one in. <laughs> Yeah, so Darnell, I would say hey, it starts with the black community and it starts with the church community. We have to be able to push people away and tell them, listen, I'm not qualified, but I know somebody who is. And I think a lot of times pastors don't do that because of pride or they feel like they can serve everybody in every way. But at the end of the day, if my pastor hasn't been through molestation. He cannot relate. Yeah. He can't relate. So I just really think we have to be strategic about talking about it over and over again, 
making it not making it cool but not making it to where it has a stigma either so negative like oh well you're crazy you need a counselor because that's what we used to do in the black community we would call people crazy but at the end of the day look at covid everybody's gonna need a counselor coming out of this yeah i I mean i think that you you make a good point i think we need to normalize mental health like you know whatever month it is that's mental health month it needs to be mental health month every day every day we need to make it okay and we need to either, and I don't, and I, I know, I don't know that this can be done, but I'm going to say it anyway. I think that we need to, just like we regulate specific industries, like I still wish they would regulate coaching that you have to go and get a coaching certification to call yourself a coach because coach, not people who are not trained and calling themselves coaches are ruining the coaching industry and ruining individuals. And I think similarly, pastors are ruining people because they. I'm, and then this is probably inappropriate. Somebody might be upset, and I don't even care because it's my it's my podcast. I can say what I want. But I think you know people allegedly get the call and they throw up these buildings without all of the skill sets that they need to lead the people, which is why there's so much church hurt, which is the reason and the subject matter in these books that they want to come to you and write because 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 we haven't we haven't handled the mantle of being called. Um, to the platform that God has placed us on with a level of decency and respect to make sure that as we are on that mantle, we're fully equipped to serve people in yes. that way. And, and let me say this, Darnell, with every layer that you peel back, for me, this has been my experience. I needed a different counselor. Mm-hmm. So I've had over the past eight years, four different counselors Yeah, because I know spiritually when I get to that plateau where a certain counselor has taken me as far as I can go. So the counselor I'm working with now, we are actually dealing with nothing but childhood. We're going all the way back to the root, yeah. which none of the other counselors dealt with. None of them. Everybody wants to deal with the current, the here and now, you know, the last five years. But you're going to need a different counselor as you peel back the layers to help uproot the other stuff because they can only take you so far. They have specialties. Right. And I think that I mean, I think that's a great point because I feel like your therapist needs to take you all the way back from day one. Yes. Like trying to deal with me, the 40, almost 45 year old today is not helping me. We need to go back and talk about the six year old. Right. Who we need to deal with because she's right. the one that's creating the environment that we're all living in right now and, right. and not being willing to do that work, which I think is part of the reason, like it's part of the reason why I did my Ted talk on what I did it on because I wanted people to understand that it, it, it is your inner seven year old, right? It is all of the havoc. You're, you know, I think our parents, they did the best that they could with what they had, but their best jacked us up yeah. and we are you know, walking around now as full-fledged adults, but we're still wounded children. And those wounded children are trying to, you know, do whatever it is that we're attempting to do. And it's just not going to serve us the way that we want. And so when I think about the power to to tell the story, right? And I love the name of your company, So It Is Written. And I I mean, you know, that's a play on the scripture. But I think that so it is written to me says that I am willing to do the work to heal 
from what it is that I've been through, so much so that I wrote it down because I think about Habakkuk 2 and 2, which says, write the vision and make it plain, right? And when you write it down, write it on tablets so that they that read it may run with it, right? And so that there's something powerful that has the possibility of happening when something is written that we don't necessarily see if we aren't willing to take the time to write it. And so we've been talking kind of heavy. I want to kind of switch gears and go a little bit lighter. So for the person who... You know, let's assume they've dealt with their stuff or or their book isn't about their story. Their book is about their work, right? It's about their framework. It's about their methodology, their signature system. What would you say to them? In addition, I think the questions are the same, right? So who the book is for, what's the purpose and main takeaway, and what the what is the problem the book solves? What else would you say to them as they endeavor to consider the feasibility of writing a book? So I kind of tell people, keep it simple, number one. Um, I think a lot of times we are overthinking. Just as a people, we feel mm-hmm. like, and you tell us this all the time in our in our systems, you tell us, don't feel like you need to add more. You know, and so my authors who come to me are always like, but wait, there's more. I need to add more. And I'm like, no, <laughs> take your hands off. Um, so keeping it simple and not, I don't want to say dumbing it down, but not writing so eloquently that your audience can't can't understand it. But at the same time, just simplifying the process. Yeah. Because if your book is going to solve a problem, people should walk away and be able to implement whatever your book is about. Yeah. Whatever it's about. So I tell people, keep it simple, as simple as you can. And sure, a lot of people are concerned about page count, and I don't know why, but some of the most powerful books I have read have been 20 pages, 30 pages. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think that uh, two things just came up for me. So the first one on uh, dumbing it down, I think you should tell them to dumb it down. I always say, if you can't read your, give your book to a sixth grader and they completely understand it and are able to say back to you in book report, report form, what it is you gave, your book is too deep. Like you are speaking at a level that most people aren't going to understand it. Yes. And the second thing that I just thought about based on the last thing that you said is that you really do need to think about it being so simple, like, and give a different definition to what a book is. I remember when I first started, because I've written eight books, and plus I've been collaborated in a whole bunch of other books. And my very first book is, if you understood my past, you would understand my praise, which it's a great book. It's, you know, part of my story. And it's like 200 and some pages. Well, my next book is a six by six. That's like 64 pages. And then my book after that is like a three by five that I had to change the definition of what a book was so that it could fit me. Because what I did is, I mean, I did write my my first story. That was like my entry point. And I had grand dreams of turning it into the play and all of that. And then I, you know, got taken down another path. But then I decided I wanted to have a a book for every talk that I did. So wherever I got booked to speak, I wanted to be able to have something to sell to the audience so I could extend my payday from the book. And so I had to change the way I looked at a book because I was like, I don't have time to be turning out these 250 page books every time somebody books me for a keynote, right? Or books me to come to their whatever. And so I really had to change that. And so I would say that too, to everybody who's listening, 
you know, don't, don't feel like your book has to just be your story. Right. And because as Tanisha said, you're not even ready to tell your story unless you've done your healing. Otherwise you're going to bleed on the pages. And so for those of you who aren't there yet, look at the practical application of the work that it is that you do and how you can expand it. And I love to talk about repurposing. So I want to talk about repurposing for a second, Tanisha, because I think about Disney, like those are my favorite repurposers. You know, Disney has all of the stories in a vault. They bring the yes. bring it out. They license it. There's like 500,000 different versions of Cinderella. Yes. Right? So it's like the queen of repurposing. But the other thing I think is great about it is one thing. So we'll talk about the book. And let's say the book is about your, your signature system or process, right? Sure. It starts as a book. You write the book. For, well, no. First, you perfect it through working with a couple of private clients. Then you write it as a book, right? And you sell it for 20 bucks. It's got the whole system in there. Like my book, Market Like a Rockstar, it's got the whole exact marketing framework in the $20 book. But it doesn't stop your ability to earn because some people are still going to want to work with you directly to have you show them how to market like a rock star, right? And I used to have a one-day workshop that was called Market Like a Rockstar. Then I turned it into a three-day event that was all about Market Like a Rockstar. So... Even if it's not tell the story that the story that's going to make your mom and dad turn over in their grave, write the book on your system or your process because it opens, it's going to open way more doors. I think it's a book is an expensive business card, but it'll open so many doors and open up so many opportunities for you to be able to use the content that is in that book to be able to change people's lives. So Danielle, I tell people you should write at least two books in life. And the first one, of course, is some portion, if not all, of your life story. Mm-hmm. And then the second one is what makes you an expert? Everybody mm-hmm. is an expert in something. I don't care if you bake pound cakes. Mm-hmm. Write a book about baking pound cakes. Yeah. Write a good book. Write a children's book. You are an expert in something. That's good. I like that. And I think that really simplifies it, right? Like, mm-hmm. yeah. Or even what you want to be an expert in. Right. Like you think you're good at it because I think the book makes you an instant expert. I remember when I got my very first copy of Past Praised in the, in the mail and I was like, I cried like a baby because my name was on the front of a book. It was on the spine of a book. Like it was on the back with a picture of me. Like I was just like, oh, my gosh, like I've reached the big time. But it is it is something really powerful to be able to have enough gumption for lack of a better way to describe it to actually sit down and formulate your words into into a book and and tell me if i'm wrong but the statistics i believe still say that only two percent of people actually write a book right that actually go on to become an author or has it millions are thinking about it but the average person won't they won't follow through yeah so what do you say to the average person that knows that they have a book in them they have a framework they have something that they deem themselves to be an expert in, but they've not yet taken pen to paper. Like, what do you say to them? What do you recommend as the process that they utilize? So two questions now, clearly. What do you say to them is the first question. And then number two, what is the process you recommend to them to to make it easy to get the book done? So for both of those questions, clearly they need to hire me. Number one. <laughs> if, if they're not going to hire me, again, I go back to those, those questions, Danielle. You have to sit down and ask yourself those questions before you start writing. Mm-hmm. Who is the book for? What's the purpose? And what's the main takeaway? Yeah. Literally, 
if you ask yourself those questions going into the writing, the writing will be directed by those questions. Mm, that's good. Oh, and, that's and keep good. it simple. Keep it simple. It really doesn't have to be deep. That is so good, Tanisha. It, it, it is so simple. The writing will be directed by the questions. Mm-hmm. So, so I feel like I'm hearing you say that I could literally create a questionnaire with questions like this and hand it to somebody and their responses could be the equivalent to their book on their expert book. Yes. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's, That's simple. It. Wow. That's good. All right. So before we get out of, out of here, what else would you like to share with the people? I think I share most. <laughs> most at all. Hey, if you feel complete, I feel complete. I just have our incredible factor wisdom questions that I'll ask you to kind of ground out our interview. We'll put how people can connect with you in the show notes so they'll be able to reach out to you if they're interested in learning more about you working with them in the process to get the book done and then setting them on a trajectory to take this one book and generate their seven figures or more. We'll definitely do that. Um, okay, so I always ask my incredible factor wisdom questions. And um, these questions are, again, just kind of to ground our time together because I very little do I actually talk about business, although I have the audacity to call this a business podcast. So when you think about your favorite quotes, what is the quote that comes to mind? It's actually the Bible verse, right? The vision and make it plain. Awesome. And then what was the last book you read? I'm actually still reading your book. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm in the process of reading your book right now. But I just finished Godmothers by Elisa Bavere as well. Okay. What do you think about my book so far? Do I want to know what you think about my book? <laughs> I'm still at the point where you were in the car like, did you just say? <laughs> oh, you said at the beginning. Did I even hit them yet? <laughs> yeah, oh, you hit them, yeah. Okay, yeah. Was, so, yeah. so I'm going into the next chapter, yeah. So I'm on edge in my bed like this. <laughs> it's funny because I tell people, like, it's my story. And I, I can say it today, but when I wrote the book back in 2007, I wasn't ready to tell people it was my story, which is why it's written in first person. So you will only know. It's so funny because people still today, I don't even know how they get it. Like it's a, I mean, well, it's available. Like you can go and order it at a bookstore or whatever, but people to this day still send emails and they're like, and when you were talking about Trenton and, and the girl, and I'm like, they have no clue. <laughs> um, that's good. Okay. Um, and then the last question is what is the one tool that you swear by to grow your business? Oh, wow. For me, my Google Calendar. I'm sorry. Hey, <laughs> I, if it ain't on my calendar, it's not happening. Yeah. I love it. I love it. I love it. Thank you so much, Tanisha, for being here. I'm grateful and appreciative to you for having those courageous conversations and help people to do their healing work and recognizing the point at which it's time to take what they've healed and put it into a book that can take them to their wealthy place. So I'm really excited for the work that you're doing. And I know so many lives are going to be changed because you show up every single day in the world. If you guys are not following Tanisha, again, we will put all of her information in the show notes. I just have to warn you, if you start following her, she (laughs) is very vocal. She is extremely courageous and she is going to disrupt the patterns that you have about yourself, about life, and make you, force you, Not yeah, she's going to force you, it's not even to make you, 
She's going to force you to ask yourself those really tough questions so that you can turn a corner and become a better version of yourself. So Tanisha, thank you so much. Say that again. Especially about the church. Yeah, especially about the church. That's probably a whole nother podcast episode. I like, you know, I like kind of drip the deflowering of the church into the episodes because I feel like, you know, I think I think more people are ready for it than they let on. Right. Like they're they're over the hypocrisy, they're over the hurts, they're over over the mismanagement. Um, But we have to remember that, you know, God is still God. And as you know, we both say his principles work everywhere. Church principles only work in church. And when you get beyond church principles and into kingdom principles, open yourself up for a whole new paradigm and to really be able to shift and change things. So, oh, yes. That's a different podcast episode. It totally is. I'll have to have you back so we can talk about it. (laughs) Well, thank you for being here today. And I will chat with you all later. Take care. Thank you for having me. I know, I know you're feeling me. That interview was fire. And now what I love about it is that you literally know what you need to do to write the one book that has the potential to add six or seven or maybe even multiple seven figures to your business's bottom line. I knew you were going to love Tanisha. So I was so excited to present her to you. There were a couple of things that she said during the interview that I just want to pull on a little bit, just to make sure you heard them. Because sometimes we're listening so intently that the most powerful things go right over our head. So the first thing she said that I loved was that most people do not write the book because they don't feel qualified. And if that's you, I hope that we got you all the way together. And now you actually do realize that you are qualified and that what you've been through actually has the potential to not only continue to change your life, but to change the lives of others as you actually write the book, the one book that has the potential to change everything. She also said, if you think your book is about you, then you are missing the point. I love that. I like put big circles around that on my paper as I was taking notes because so many people get caught up into thinking that the book is about ego. The book is not about ego. It is not about you. It's about the lives that will be changed when you share the story, write the framework, put it all out there for people to see it. And the other thing she said, and this one might have snatched a couple of edges, is that your book needs to solve a problem. And if your book doesn't solve a problem, no matter how great the cover art is, it is not going to sell. And that's regardless of whether it's $10, $20, $50. It is not going to sell if it does not solve a problem that people currently have. And so I'm really excited that I had the opportunity to share Tanisha with you. Tanisha is actually a member of the Leverage and Scale Mastery Mastermind. It's our mastermind for six-figure service-based entrepreneurs on the move to millions, which I've already shared with you is what this podcast name is becoming in the coming months. And so I wanted to just take a quick moment and share a little bit more about the mastermind and how if you are a six-figure entrepreneur who is tired of being stuck at six figures and you can really see yourself getting the support that you need to get your business on the trajectory to the million-dollar mark with milestone stops at a quarter of a million, a half a million, three quarters of a million, and a million dollars along the way, then I do invite you to go apply for our private training, which is aptly called Move to Millions. In it, I share the four steps in the framework that we utilize with our clients that helps us to create new million dollar companies every single year in our business. Oh, and just so we're clear, I am not talking about a million dollars in sales. I'm talking about a million dollars in cold, hard cash that is coming to your business inside of a year. 
I personally believe that every single entrepreneur should experience wealth. I believe that entrepreneurship is the vehicle that God created to put wealth into the realm of possibility for us. And so if you aren't experiencing a business that has you on that trajectory, you probably need some support. And I don't know anybody better than I at what it is that I do to help my clients close the gaps that are keeping them from what it is that they crave in every area of their life, including their business. And so I would welcome an opportunity for you to apply for the program. And you can start the journey right now by going to partnerwithdarnielle.com. Again, that's partnerwithdarnielle.com. When you get there, you'll actually see both of our programs, Leverage and Scale Weekend, which is our introduction 12-week program, and Leverage and Scale Mastery Mastermind, which is our 12-month program. So you can look both of them over and see which one is going to be the best choice for you and then apply for whichever program. If your application is accepted, we will share our private training with you where we walk through not only our framework, but how we support our clients and everything about the program so that you can make a qualified decision as to whether or not now is the time and we're the right fit to get you on your move to millions. So I want to thank you guys for joining me today. I just love this topic, and I hope that if you haven't already written the one book, you get the support that you need to write the one book. And I would highly recommend that you consider reaching out to Tanisha. All of her information is going to be in the show notes for you. So if you did enjoy our conversation, make sure that you go and you connect directly with her so that you don't miss anything that it is that she brings out, because I'm promising you her ability to help you to write that one book could literally change your life forever. I'll see you guys next time. Take care. Thank you for joining me for the Leverage Your Incredible Factor business podcast. If after listening to this episode, you know that it's time that you stop playing and praying small, you should go grab my Grow Your Business Toolkit. Based on the pillars of business optimization, this toolkit is the only resource you need to get crystal clear about what it will take to take your business to the seven-figure mark. Go grab yours today at growyourbiztoolkit.com. And if you enjoyed our time together, do yourself a favor, head on over to iTunes, subscribe, rate, and leave us a review. Until next time, remember you deserve to scale your business, shake the planet, and fund the life you crave. Take care.